Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. James chapter uh, 1, 2 through 19. Am I good, Tim? Is it good? Okay. Um, a silversmith in biblical times would take silver, place it in a pot, and he would heat that silver up. The purpose of what he was doing was he was trying to get the purest product that he could possibly get. So he'd take metal, take the silver, he'd place it in the pot, he'd heat it up, and he would stir it. And over time, what would happen, the impurities would rise to the top. He would take a ladle or something, and he would scoop off the top, and he'd pour it off to the side. He would heat it up again and continue to do it until all the impurities rose to the top. He would scoop them out, put them off to the side, and then when he realized that he was done with melting this metal and having the most purest form of silver, when he would... When he would do this over and over and over again, heating and scooping off the impurities and heating and scooping off the impurities, he would do that until he could see his reflection in what he was making. That's what the silversmith would do. He would look down and he would know, I have the actual thing that I want to have because I can see my reflection in what I'm making. And that's what, exactly what King Jesus is doing to you and I. Every single thing that happens in our life is shaped by him, ordained by him, allowed by him. So that we can be shaped for our good and his glory. And the trials that we face that James talks about are really no different than anything like that. For, for, for the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works that he prepared in advance that we would walk in them. Trilla Newbill, a, a fantastic author and speaker, she says this, as image bearers, when we hear the good news, we are changed from the inside out. This does not mean that we are immediately sanctified, nor does it mean that we will not have ebbs and flows in our excitement or devotion to and for the Lord. For we know that we are being transformed from the same image from one degree of glory to another, sanctification is this, it's a process. This, this is what God's doing in you and I right now with everything, like I said, that's going on in our life. We are image bearers of the most high God. We are to reflect him. We are to demonstrate him. And James is sitting there saying, listen, that's true, true genuine faith. I don't want you to sit there and just say you believe. I want you to demonstrate that you believe. And the folks that he's writing to at this time were very immature in their faith. So God raises up James to help them to understand how to put these two things together. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to do this, and I don't want there to be a great dichotomy between the two, or a great difference. And so one of the hardest things for you and I to realize is how in the world do we grow through these trials? Most of us would say, hey, per pretty much one of the places that I've grown the most is in a trial in my life. A lot of us could say that. What I've done this morning with James chapter 1, 2 through 18 is I've broken it down into two sections, lessons about the trials, and then the second, that's verses 2 through 4, and uh, verses 5 through, 5 through 18, we're going to look at, I've called this section, what we fight to remember when we're in the trial, or what do we fight against, okay, so truths that we're going to learn, lessons about the trial, that's first. And then once we get down to verse 5 through 18, 
we're going to look at three things that we fight against so that we remember what the trial is there for and how we can learn in it and grow in it and through it. Okay, so let's go ahead and um, jump into James. I, I have to say this. I am incredibly grateful for his honesty about how things begin. He's not sugarcoating the life of the believer. He introduces himself last week. Yes, I'm James, okay? I'm a servant of the Most High God. We learned last week that God can change anyone. He grew up in Jesus' home. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He is with him in that home and does not believe. And then all of a sudden, he comes to believe, and he declares himself that my name is James, and I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes to the 12 tribes, the dispersion. They're all over the place. They're being persecuted. And, of course, James jumps in. And the very first thing he says to them, which are perhaps the hardest four words that we could ever hear as a follower of Christ, it says this, count it all joy, my brothers. <laughs> count it all joy. Those are really four difficult words. Let's read two to four right now. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so those three verses right now are loaded to set the stage for us this morning. They're going to teach us a lot of lessons about trials. The very first thing are the first four words that are critical to embracing trials and learning from them. So the first four words, count it all joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, it seems to say that, listen, as you are in the trial, you, as a follower of God, you are to look at this trial, this cancer diagnosis, this car wreck, this death, whatever it is, you are to look at that as joy. I don't believe that that's what it's saying. I believe what it's teaching us right now is that I want you to live in the power of the Spirit so that when you are sitting in the middle of the cancer diagnosis, you look at Jesus, and Jesus is the joy. In the midst of the cancer diagnosis, in the midst of the car accident, in the midst of the, it's in the midst of the death, you recognize and you realize because of being filled with the Spirit of God, you can sit there and say, yeah, I'm sitting in this mess right now, but I know that Jesus is present with me, and so I can say I count it joy because I count it joy because I see him standing right there with me. And I believe that that's a radical difference. I, I think it's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit because in a natural man, it's impossible for us to sit there in, our, uh, in living and counting it all joy when we do this in the flesh. One of the great wars of our life is living according to the Spirit and living in the flesh. It is a constant daily fight that we fight against each and every day. As I said, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And what God desires to do when he saves us is he... he he, the Spirit of God indwells us at the moment that we say yes to him. God, I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Son of God, and I want to be saved. Will you save me? And that's at the moment he deposits the Spirit of God in our lives. And then there is our obedience to him where we walk in the fullness of what that is, being filled with the Spirit. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we're sitting in the middle of that trial, and we consider it and say, I'm finding joy because I see you, God. You're right there with me. You're next to me. John Piper says this, I think being filled with the Spirit means basically having great joy in God. And since the Bible teaches that the joy of the Lord is our strength, it also means that there will be power in this joy 
for overcoming besetting sins, meaning sins that we constantly deal with, and for boldness in witness and trials that will come. To learn from the trials, we must be filled with him. So to learn from them, we must be filled with him. That's the way we want to say it. To learn from them, we must be filled with him. So when we submit ourselves to Jesus, the spirit of the living God, we understand that we're standing in this fire. Jesus is with us. I go to Daniel chapter 3, verse 21, a very familiar text to a lot of us. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are told to bow down to their gods. Nebuchadnezzar is telling them, bow down to their gods. They say, no, we're not going to do that. There comes this moment where they say, well, we're going to throw you into the fiery furnace. We're going to crank that thing up even hotter than it's supposed to be. And we're going to put you in there. So verse 21 of Daniel chapter 3 says this. These men were bound. I, don't, I want you to remember that word right there. They were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. A second word. They're bound. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to the counselors, you know what's coming, Do we not cast, did we not cast... Three men bound into the fire. Third time, they're bound. They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and he said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods, which is their way of saying, there's Jesus standing in the middle of the fire. And so they went in there bound, but the king looks at him and says, I see four of them walking around, and they're unbound. And the way that we approach trials and the way that we embrace them is by the spirit of the living God, allowing God to fill us so that we can say, hey, hey, I hear what you're telling me, doc. Police officer, I heard what you're saying. Boss, I hear you're firing me. I hear you're letting me go. I don't know where my paycheck's gone. I don't know the job, I'm the, the, the kids, all this kind of stuff. But I hear what you're telling me. But I see him standing there with me. And so I'm going through this and this week. And I, I just, in the rawness of being right here with you and a staff member here, it's been one of the hardest weeks that our family has embraced, um, just really tough. Um, we take care of my father-in-law uh, a, a lot of times, and my, my discipleship group on Friday mornings as I was sharing this with them told me, you know, just, just be honest and just share. And so what it says here in the text is count it pure joy, which means that we're filled with the Spirit and we can embrace what God is doing in the midst of not understanding a lot. And I would say to you that this week and probably perhaps the last two and a half months, if I'm honest, that a personal illustration of someone who is not doing this is the guy that you're looking at right now. We uh, take care of my father-in-law, which, um, and we take care of him uh, a, a, a lot of times, and, 
And um, I can just tell you this right now, that there's not a lot of joy. And he's with us every Sunday, and he happens to not be here right now. He's got a, uh, he had a brain tumor. He's not no cancer. We praise God. He doesn't have cancer anymore, but the damage has been done. But we have sat here and, and, and are taking care of him, and it is, a, it is a fight to do it in the spirit. And so I want to just be honest with you right now. I recognize the battle that some of you are going through right now and the inability or the fight to say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to count it joy. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And so I take a look at the war that goes on to one of the greatest men that I've ever known in my entire life who has taught me everything about what it means to be a man of God, Phil Qualls, who that guy doesn't live in my house anymore. Physically, he is there, but emotionally, he's not there. And that, that really, really stinks. So, so what I'm trying to tell you right now is <laughs> I am an example of not having joy right now. And I've repented and asked God to forgive me of this and to find joy in it. And there have been incredible conversations this week with family that have been life-giving to me and to our family. So what else do we learn about the trial? What else do we learn about this trial? First and foremost, it says in the verse, first words, there is an absolute fight that we must have when we embrace this right now. And that is we count it pure joy. We count it all joy. So there right now is the first fight that this is not something that we can do in our flesh. This is not something that we can do as a, as, as a human being. We do that when we are filled with the Spirit of God, and that is critical for the rest of the text and even the rest of the book. Those first four words. Those first four words. And so here's what we see. Here's what we see. What else do we learn from the trials? Well, it goes on and he says, okay, we know the word. Many of you have seen this book. Many of you guys have, have taught this book. Many of you have learned it over times and it says count it all joy my brothers when that big word when is right there so first off number one thing that we need to learn is you are going to get trials it's a hundred percent coming your way you're either in one you're coming out of one or whatever the case might be you know the saying a hundred percent of us it's not if it is when they are going to come they come we live in the middle of two gardens we have the garden of eden where everything went wrong we have the garden Back in Revelation 21, where God's going to make everything right. Listen to me. He's going to make everything right. Don't forget that. And I can't wait for that to take place. But as we're sitting in the middle right now, there's junk. And it really stinks. And so we have to sit there and we have to recognize, okay, they're coming. You're going to get them. I'm going to be in them. Then he goes on and he says, uh, next thing he says, you, you, will, you will encounter trials. And he calls them various trials various kinds is what he says so you will get trials of various kinds that's the second thing that we learn second thing the description is very vague they can be financial they can be emotional they can be physical they can be spiritual they can be mental they can be relational they can be marital they can be vocational they can come in many different areas and they can also come at the same time there are various kinds, and he uses that word to really sit, really not to box himself in like, well, this is the way it's going to look, or this is the way it's going to look. It's going to be all over the place. And they're plural. 
I know, you're really encouraged right now, aren't you? I'm looking on your face going, wow, I'm so glad I came today. And so they're coming and they're various and here is the next one. They are opportunities for us to grow. Look at what he says again. He says, counter our joy. And then verse three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So here's an opportunity. I'm gonna, this is gonna happen in your life. They're gonna come. And what I want you to know is it's an opportunity for you to grow. Here's what he says. And let, listen, circle that word right now. And let, this is a submission of your soul to allow the trial, the testing, to have its full effect on your sanctification. It is a submission to sit there and say, okay, okay, I'm embracing this. I'm, I'm in the fullness of the spirit. I'm watching God stand next to me. I'm gonna count it all joy and I'm gonna let it do what it's supposed to do because it's taking those impurities and rising them to the top and King Jesus scoops it off until he sees his reflection of himself. That's who we are, we are image bearers. And he wants us to have abundant life more than we want to have abundant life. But the question is, and the fact is, that he knows what abundant life looks like. We define it a little bit different than he does. So here we go. We keep going and he's, I, I want you to grow. So what is it going to do? It's going to perfect and complete. He says this. He uses that word let. It's an opportunity for us. The Christian views trials as a pathway to maturity, plain and simple. They will not be wasted. And so what do we do? So here are the truths about these trials. There are various kinds. They're going to come. We're filled with the Spirit. And I think right now here we talk about the fight. I think here's what we do because I think he goes in and he gives some, some things that we need to be reminded of. And I think here is what we do to allow these trials to have their full effect in our life when we encounter them. And the first fight that we have is the fight of doubt. Now, I don't know if you've ever thrown fist before. That's a way of you've been in a fight, and it's physical. Not, it's, it's, you've, you've, had some, you've had some things. But when we prepare for the fight, what do we do? What does a fighter do? Well, he trains. He trains for endurance, right? He does a lot of cardio. He jump ropes. He punches a punching bag. I mean, it, there's a lot of endurance. But one of the greatest things that the fighter does is he prepares for his opponent. Because when he researches his opponent, he knows what he's going up against. And so what James is telling us right now, I need you to know that the devil is going to come at you and it's going to come at you with this issue of doubt in the middle of this trial. And so one of the things that he does, I want you to stand right, I want you to hold your hands right, and I want you to go in because you're in a fight. Here's what it says in verse 5. And if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Trials are a reminder that you need him. He is ready with arms wide open to help us to put the information back together. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is taking the knowledge that we have, the information that we have, and basically putting it back together so that it would glorify King Jesus in our lives. So he's saying, I want you to realize that you can come to him and you can ask him because he's there to give you this, what, generously. I don't want you to doubt that. That's who he is. Verse 6, here's where it comes. But let him ask in faith, not with doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person that must, 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here we are, we are enduring this trial. And he's telling us right now that in the midst of it, you are going to be tempted to believe something right now that is not true. You're going to doubt whether or not you're going to come out of it. You're going to doubt whether or not this that you've done is right or wrong. There's going to be all kinds of doubts. And the enemy's going to come and try to stump you up. And so what I want us to do is, is, is through the power of the Spirit, in order to count it joy, is to really embrace this and fight the doubt that comes. You sit there and say, man, no, I, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't really know how to do that. I think Mark chapter 9 gives us a picture. In Mark chapter 9, there's a father and his son. And we see the great balance between the fight of doubt and the fight to believe. This is Mark chapter 9, verse 20. And so, if we look at, as you're turning there, if we look back at the James, there are really two exhortations. One is, God grant me wisdom, and the other one is, kill my doubts. But, but how do we do that? Because that is really, really difficult. Yes, it's true. In the spirit, the first, go back to the first four words. Count it all joy, which is, an, which is an exhortation to be filled with the Spirit of God. And then he says in verse 20 of Mark chapter 9, I'll read you this story that I feel like will help us. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it, has been, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out. And here's what he said. This is what I want you to hold on to. And this is what he said. I believe. Help my unbelief. And when you sit in the middle of that trial and that temptation to doubt comes your way, I want you to scream right now, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And you will not believe how. That's all what King Jesus needs to work in that situation. What I'm not saying is that if we have enough faith or the, the faith healing, the prosperity gospel, that's not biblical. That's not of God. What I'm sitting here and demonstrating to you right now is that we are always going to be in a situation going, really, can God do that? And he sits here and says, okay, I want you to be honest. I believe, God, please help my unbelief. And in that space between I believe and I unbelieve, that right there is a beautiful place for us to be and posture ourselves. Because that's where he breaks down and goes, I got you. I'm in here with you. I don't want you to doubt Notice the rest of the story, 25 says, and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running, together he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never in him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. We believe. Lord, help my unbelief. Let us fight against the doubt. The second fight that we have 
The second fight that we have in the midst of the trial is the trial of, uh, or the, the, the fight of comparison. Verses 9 through 11 are jam-packed full of a lot that are going to come out through the rest of the book of James. And I'm going to hold off on just all that's in there for later. What I'm going to focus on right now is generally, basically, there are two groups of people that he's talking about right now. And so let me read it, and then I'll explain the, the point of comparison. Let, let the lowly brother boast in his exultation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fall, fit, falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits. What he's talking about right now is he's saying, hey, listen, there are different people throughout the world. And what's going to take place, you got people that are rich and poor. you got people that are rich and wealthy, rich and godly. you got all kinds of classes of people that are going on in right now. And when you sit there and you go through trials, your temptation when you're going through trials is to compare yours to theirs and be bitter towards God. And what, what the, general concept, the general concept around these verses right here is he's just basically saying this right now. I want you to free yourself and not be bound by comparing yourself or your trial to someone else or your perception of the lack of trial that they're going through compared to the trial that you are going through. Free yourself of that. Don't be bound by that. Walk in the middle of the fire as unbound because he's there, right there with you. As we learn. Dana and I, and, and some of you know this right now, but I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know if I did not live this right here because we were told we could not have kids. We have four in four and a half years. God was right, take that. <laughs> okay. It was a long journey to get to that place, but I remember being in that situation where I was seeing people have children, and I was seeing this, and I was like, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to be a better, I'm a better dad than that guy. I'm sitting here right now thinking, come on, God, what's going on? Why do they have to have some and we don't get to have some? That's not fair. And what I'm saying right now is that what God is teaching us to do in the midst of these trials, because when we are focused on our situation, we, we've, we, will, we will fail to see what he's trying to do in and through us. And so he's saying, get your eyes off yourself. Hey, Matt, get your eyes up. Get them on me. Okay, get them on me and I'll show you what I'm trying to do in your life, in our life. That's what he's trying to do right now. You're like, well, I, I want to know how. how. How do I do this? How, how, how do I do this? Well, um, hashtag get off Instagram and get off Facebook. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. That, that, uh, you understand what I'm trying to do. The, the, the danger, the danger of those things right now in the comparison trap that we fall into in, in, in social media is very, very dangerous. Let us fight against this in the midst of the trials because of the joy. I have a quote for you. When we are enduring trials, we become hyper aware of the prettiness of other people's lives and we come to a place where we resent them. We must, through the power of the Spirit, fight against comparison. Then the last fight. 
the last fight that we have is this, to fight for the greatness of God. I'm excited to teach this, this, this part right here. It's for number 12, verse 12. <laughs> number 12. Verse 12 says this, blessed is the man. Come on, women. Those that are you doing the Sermon on the Mount study, that's right there. Right there, it's, it's the same language. He's using the exact same language that he's talking to the Jewish people and he's looking at them and he's saying, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Critical in the waves of trials is to remember the character of God. And you and I must fight to remember that he is good and he is great and there's no one like him. There never has been. There never will be. He has never left us. He never will leave us. And he's not getting ready to do so. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He knows what is best for us. So as we sit in that trial, we must fight to remember the greatness of God and the promise and the crown that is going to await us at the end when it's all over, said and done. He promises, he makes promises to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He makes a promise that I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's with him in eternity. So as we sit in the middle of those trials, we can't forget those promises. His ultimate goal, James's ultimate goal is to direct us to that ultimate promise known as what it says in verse 12, the crown of life. When it's all said and Jesus looks at us and says, well done, good fight. Well done, my good and faithful servant. It goes down to verse 12 where he says this. It goes down to verse 12. And so there's this concept right now where we're in the trial and we forget things about God. So we doubt, okay, we compare and then we forget, we don't remember the greatness of God. We have to fight for the greatness of God. And verse 13 says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We must resolve in our hearts and our heads that God is not placing things before us to tempt us or draw us away. He is placing things in us and before us to what? To be image bearers and draw him to himself. We have two dogs. Um, they're Lucy and Chewy. And with all that's going on in the house, we have decided that we are going to get a, uh, an invisible fence. An invisible fence, please, please don't, don't hate on me, okay, for the invisible fence. Um, so it's an invisible fence, and so they have a dog collar, just to help you understand that, and it's buried in the ground, and so it's a little bit easier with everything that's going on in our house to be able to let the dogs go out, and so we have to have three training sessions, and so last week, the, uh, the trainer came over and said, today what we're going to do is we're going to do temptation training. And I was like, okay, said, so I have Lucy that's, she has a leash, but I'm not holding the leash. And we're in the backyard, and there is the, the flags that are up in the ground that, that, that warn her, do not go past the flag. Basically what happens, she's got the collar on, for those of you that don't know, if she goes up to where she sees the flag, it starts beeping. When it beeps, she's supposed to turn around and go back. If she goes over the fence, then she gets corrected. That, 
That is the positive way to say that. So I go outside and she says, here's what we need to do. I need you to go in the neighbor's yard and stand there like you're talking on the phone. I need you to do this. Do not call Lucy's name. Do not look at her. Don't tempt her or entice her to come to you. That would be mean. Just go on the other side and stand there and see what happens. So I act like I'm on the phone, okay? There's no picture of this. I'm on the phone. Lucy comes, hears the beep, comes right over to me. We have to correct her and bring her back because she was tempted to come over to me. She says, listen, we're going to raise the notch a little bit to have her corrected so that she will not do that. But we're not going to do that today. We're going to do it next week. So she left, and I just went. I went on the other side of the fence, and I got down, and I said, I had pepperoni in my hand and cheese, and I said, hey, Lucy, come here. Come here. I was on the other side of the fence, and I just said, come on, Lucy, come over here. If you really believe that about me, we got a lot to talk about. I didn't do that. Okay? I, let me say this, I did not do that. Listen to me. Listen to me. And God is not standing over there going, I'm going to tempt you. I'm going to entice you. I'm going to put this before you. Come on. Come on. I'm ready to light you up. That's not what he's doing. That's not who he is. That's not his character. And here's what God, what, here's what James wants us to know. You're sitting in this trial, and I do not want you to forget. You must fight to remember the goodness and greatness of God. There is simply no one like him. Verse 16 says this, Do not be deceived, my brothers, for every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind, we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. One of the greatest anchors for our soul is that we would realize and we would recognize his goodness and his greatness. Let me say this right now. God knew what he was buying on the cross when he bought us. Let me say it again. God knew what he was buying when he bought us. He is not sitting up there going, man, I need a return policy. That's not what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. All of our failures, all of our shortcomings, and all of the things that we do and don't do. He is for us. He knows what is best for us. And we are image bearers. And everything that happens, he is looking for his reflection in who we are. If you're sitting here today and you think, man, I disgust God. All the disgust in our lives was laid upon King Jesus on a cross and it was nailed to the cross, and Jesus said, it is finished. He is a giver, and he is not a taker. And where he takes, he only takes to give, which makes him a giver. And that's who he is. So, what do we learn? Let us, as we walk in these trials, let us be filled with the Spirit. Let us walk in the Spirit. Let us realize that the trials are coming. They're various. They're causing us to grow. And let us fight let us fight doubt, comparison, and let us remember how great he is. We have never been betrayed by Jesus. We are never going to be betrayed by Jesus. And we never will be betrayed by Jesus. He is good. And he stands with us in that trial.
for our good and his glory. So let us walk and walk unbound for his name's sake.